welcome to Zenergy, the interactive podcast providing resources for building a better life. I am Zenashe. I'm your, a coach, a conduit, and a catalyst that launches humanity into greatness by accelerating mindset changes and replacing limitations with possibilities. And um, I don't usually kind of go into what that means, but I'm going to take a second because today we're going to be talking about compassionate challenge, which is a unique term that I kind of came up with today because I was thinking about two very important men in my life who have transitioned, they passed on, but they left their legacy behind in my life. And I know in the lives of many others. Um, but I wanted to go back to what I said, you know, I am a coach, a conduit, and a catalyst. And I always say a coach draws out hidden potential in a subject, a catalyst sparks change, and a conduit provides a connection. But I want to go into the other part of that, that launches humanity into greatness. So if you've been following me at all, um, I am not by nature an extrovert. I am by nature an introvert. And... When I first started performing, I didn't even record myself. I was always behind the camera. Um, I didn't want to be in front of the camera. In fact, people have to ask me, like whenever you have those selfie challenges on Facebook, I always end up posting a picture that somebody else took of me at a performance because I don't take selfies very often, if at all. Um, I'm saying that to say that the purpose for this podcast, the purpose for my books, is that I feel that everybody has greatness in them. I feel that every person can be the best version of him or herself. I feel that I have been blessed to have some people help me on my journey to becoming my best self. I'm not there yet. I don't think I'll ever reach there. There is always going to be somewhere off in the distance. That best self is always going to be something I'm reaching for. I'm trying to be the best I can today. But my goal is, you know, for people not to reinvent the wheel, for people to be able to look at um, the guests that I have, the books that we're reading, the role models that have inspired us, the lessons that we've learned, and we can kind of launch ourselves over some of the hurdles that and obstacles that come into our path and move forward into our greatness and not be kept in a state of mediocrity, not be kept in bondage. And the other part of that little spiel that I say, you know, who launches humanity into greatness by accelerating mindset changes, I believe Everything is created here first. If you cannot imagine it, you cannot become it. If you cannot see it here, even in a small scale, you cannot do it. This table, this book, every bit of merchandise that you see on the, in the, on these walls, everything first started as an idea. It started as part of someone's mindset. And then they went through the actions. They might've started talking about it first. And then they started, you know, putting things down on paper or starting to build models or whatever it was. But mindset is where everything begins. And if you don't have the mindset to do it, you can't do it. You know, so who launches humanity into greatness by accelerating mindset changes. Once again, we don't live forever. And 
I know that in my life, I feel like sometimes I've wasted a lot of time. But when I got my mindset right, I was able to move forward. I was able to achieve, you know, so who launches humanity into greatness by accelerating mindset changes and replacing limitations with possibilities. So that's the whole purpose of this podcast. And um, I wanted to bring that out because Today, we're going to be focusing on a compassionate challenge, and I have my cameraman, John Ross Dice. Say hi to the people. How y'all doing? How y'all doing? And um, he has his own podcast, the, the What's Next podcast, which is about what's next for creatives. What is their process? And um, so that's very closely related to like what I do um, in terms of what's the process to getting to that next step? What's the process of getting us to where we want to be? You know, and I feel that journaling is part of that process. I feel like listening to podcasts, reading, informing yourself, changing your mindset, using affirmations, using visualization. I feel like all that's part of the process, you know, using the arts, um, building a network of people. I mean, there's so many things we talk about on this on this show, step by step by step, looking at different aspects of self-development. So uh, I feel like all that's part of the process. But getting back to the topic for today a mindset. I wanted to talk about compassionate challenge. Um, I brought this idea up to him earlier today for many reasons. You know, recently, um, my page has been quite busy because I have posted some videos from TikTok, which happened to be about men and women. And some um, men have felt like uh, I was man bashing. You know, I really wasn't. And there were a lot of people in the comments that came to my defense, but I wanted to start there because um, one of the things that I've been thinking about recently is intention and mindset. Again, I keep going back to mindset. Um, I was taught by my, by my father and by other people in my life that I should listen to critiques and I should try to listen to critiques as objectively as possible because even a hater mm. can have something that you can learn from, I should. you know, and sometimes you get your greatest wisdom from those who are criticizing you rather than your supporters. Um, and that's something that I've found. So there are times when I have to swallow my pride and, and, and listen, but I wanted to go back to compassion because men and women, especially black men and women on social media and in real life seem to be at odds many times, arguing, putting each other down, all that kind of thing. Some of the things I posted on my page were because I thought that they brought up some of the issues. And I also thought that they did them thoughtfully because what I don't want to put out there is just a bunch of name calling and, 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 and stereotyping that doesn't do anybody any good. But I wanted to bring up things where people were trying to make points and even trying to rebuttal other people's points. Cause sometimes it would be two people going back and forth, somebody stitching somebody else's video and showing point by point where they were wrong. Because I feel like, and I said this the other day, 
I feel like we're at a very unique point in history. It's 2022. In 2020, we all went through quarantine, something that hasn't happened since the 19, what was it, 1919 when we were quarantined last time? We went through quarantine. At the same time, we had the George Floyd situation. We had a whole civil rights movement protest like we've never seen before. It was a whole new civil rights movement. Then we had, um, you know, women beginning to speak out about things that they were being upset about. And, and you have this um, movement. Uh, some people say marriage is declining and, and, and women are choosing to be single. Men are choosing to be single. We've got incels, you know, we've got that's involuntarily celibate guys that are upset because they can't find sexual partners. They feel like the women that they qualify for are not paying them attention. Um, we had massive unemployment, people losing their jobs, people becoming entrepreneurs. I mean, all of this going on at the same exact time. Um, then we have recently the revoking of the Roe versus Wade. And now women are fighting for the rights to autonomy over their own body. Um, and we just had about a week ago, you know, a judgment in, in one of the states where they were saying, hey, we don't, we don't, we don't want that coming here. You give it, you gave it to the states. We want to have, you know, the right to an abortion. So, you know, I feel like there's so much going on and I feel like this is a time when we need to challenge each other um, to be our best selves, to to change in healthy ways, but also be compassionate about it and and talk to each other in love, talk to each other in wisdom, talk to each other with patience, be tolerant because everybody is going through so much. And people have hair triggers. People are feeling attacked on all these fronts. So when you post something, yeah, maybe they go, ah, and it's not even really about you. It's just about the fact that they're already on edge, you know? So I don't take a lot of things personally because I realize that we're in this unprecedented time. You know, so when, when I came to you with this idea of compassionate challenge, and I know I've said a whole lot starting off this podcast, what's going through your mind right now as we're kind of setting up the scene for this discussion that we want to have? Um, first of all, thank you for having me again. Um, I just. Uh, you're welcome. I want you to know you're one of my mentors, even if I haven't said that to you, you're one of my mentors, because in you, I've seen that it's never too late to chase dreams, to strive, um, for better, to go through a career and, and, and reinvent yourself, finish your career off, reinvent yourself, and then start a new chapter. Mm -hmm. I want to also highlight that this coming school year will be your first, very, your very last first day. And I'm just, I'm honored to be alongside of you. And I'm honored to always come on your podcast whenever you invite me. I think it's, um, a challenge. Because I'm so used to speaking from emotion and you're, uh, you're not emotionless, but you're fact based. You read and your knowledge seeps through how you talk on your podcast. And I just think that it's a challenge coming on here because I'm sitting across somebody who, who's not, who's going to speak emotionally, who's going to speak fact based, but it all is going to come back full circle. I think that, um, in light of what's going on with you, on social media, I, you know, I, I can't help but say, man, you're doing something right. 
<laughs> you know, because it's one thing to put a project out. It's one thing to set off on a new journey, but it, it, it's, it's, it speaks volumes when people now are chiming in on what you do. Right. I look at it from that lens because people could not be paying attention. And when you put your heart, sweat and tears into something and you're just like, man, I only have this many views or I only have this many reviews. And then all of a sudden you start to get this commotion on your, your page. Uh, it can do something to you like like talent wise. It can do something to you like your psyche can be lifted up from this. OK, well, I'm going to continue to. I'm going to watch. Maybe I'll watch what I say. Maybe I won't. But I'm going to continue to drive my my content because people are now watching and I see it. I'm reminded of that because this a couple of weeks ago, maybe really last week, I was informed by uh, a friend of mine. Hey, man, people are watching you. You better watch what you say, because what you said in your last podcast might come back to bite you. Hmm. And so, you know, at first, like you said, uh that critique, um, I could have taken it wrong. But in the next moment, I was like, man, well, man, I'm, people are watching. So, man, it, it kind of gives you this thrill like, okay, fine. People are finally like, people are finally, they're copying what I'm doing. We're not copying. They're, they're taking snippets of what I'm doing, the worst parts of it. <laughs> and they're putting that out. And, and, and I told my man, I was like, man, they didn't even really get the, the gist of what I was saying, mm -hmm. like, I want to mm -hmm. circle back to what you said about people being unemployed. The point of what I was saying was that through it all, COVID and all educators, we were afforded an opportunity not to miss bills, mm -hmm. to be paid and stay at home, to teach, to not lose a job, to not go bankrupt, to not foreclose on our, well, to uh, not put up our, our houses for foreclosure and all of that. And I, and I rounded off what I was saying by saying that I will never again complain about being an educator because through it all, I, I've stayed afloat. And so I think that when people do the, you know, bickering about what you do or saying you said something when you didn't say it, I look at it like, thank you because you're watching me. I, I got, I got that. Uh, yeah, that, that is. That's not how I looked at it at the time. I mean, um, but, but I will say this. Um, it was interesting to me. And, um, I want to go back to compassion because I, a lot of times I look at things from the perspective of my age and my experience. So, for example, I'm 51, about to be 52. My father was a very authoritative, authoritative man, very authoritarian man. He, was not, you did not talk back. His mm. word was law. You know, I, I think I told you this story mm. when I was, uh, I, I told my students this story and they were just stunned. I was in college and my dad had a rule that you had three times to miss curfew. Mm. And my curfew was midnight. Even it, I was probably 24, I think. I was still in his house. Curfew was midnight, non-negotiable. You know what I'm saying? Period. Um, so, you know, if you were going to stay with a girlfriend or whatever, or do, you know, some staying out, you had to, I had to have permission, even as an adult, mm. I'm living in my parents' house. So I remember, um, I was dating a guy and, uh, 
you know, at that time I had been saving myself and all this stuff. And we decided we were going to have our first time and he wanted to take me to Galveston and all this stuff. So I was like, we're not going to be back by midnight. If you want to do this, just realize that we're going to be living together. You got your own place. You're going to have a roommate. So make up your mind. You know, you, we're going to be taking this to the next level because this is going to be my third time. My dad, I, I just already know he's not going to yell. He's not going to scream. He's just going to say you knew the rules. And uh, you chose to disobey them. There are consequences. I wish you luck. Come back for dinner. You know, <laughs> and it was going to be no discussion. And, and I said, so do you really want to do this? And, and I remember telling my students that, you know, that, you know, some of us grew up in houses where there was you didn't talk back. You didn't argue. You didn't. You know, so when, when I um, talk about men and women, sometimes I come from the perspective of. Um, being raised pretty traditional in a kind of strict environment. Um, and my grandparents, you know, were married, oh, 63 years, I think, 70. Mm. My mom and dad were married 43 years. Everybody I knew was married. Um, and I can't picture that my dad or my grandfather or my uncles, you know, the type of men that they were and the type of men that women want now, they weren't those type of men. They were providers. They went out, they worked a job, they came home and they expected their wife to take care of everything else. You know, if they had to discipline the kids, okay. They had to cut the grass, work on the cars. You know what I'm saying? That's it. They're not washing the dish. You know, they're not making a bed. They're not, they're not going to wash the clothes. Mm. They're not going to do that. It's mm. just not, don't even, don't even come to them with that. That's not even an option. That's women's work. So I know that there are men like that. And I understand because I was raised around men like that. And I understand that some of these paradigms, I, I, I can come from a place of compassion and say, I understand that some of you as men were raised a certain way and had certain expectations. My father was that way. My grandfather was that way. Some of my uncles are that way. They haven't changed. You know, my dad has passed on, but my dad, nope. He didn't change. I mean, he was always that way. That's the way he was. And you knew growing up, this is what he will do. This is what he will not do. These other things. Don't even ask him. Don't even expect it. It's not even a discussion. You could, you could beg, plead, cry, say it's not fair. You, whatever you say, it does not matter. He, this is his definition of his role as a man. He's going to do this and that's it. Doesn't matter what you want. Doesn't matter what, you know. So I understand that there are men like that. And I also understand that there are women that are saying that's not good enough. I need more. And I, I will rather be single than have to do all of the housework, all of the cooking, you know, mm. all of the, I would rather be single. I understand that too. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much in a sense, one of those women. Um, so, you know, I don't have any problem with men that, have that worldview or that are offended that all of a sudden the, the rules have changed, you know, and I'm not saying that they've changed for everybody because I'm sure you can go find a woman like that, mm -hmm. that will give you exactly what you want. If you're giving her what she needs and what she wants, you know, so there are many women of many different types. There are many men of many different types, you know, so I understand that. Um, I want us to have as, as a race, as a set of genders, compassion for each other and say, Hey, you have a right to decide what kind of woman you want. 
what kind of preferences you have. And she has a right to decide what kind of man she wants. Mm -hmm. And just because she's a woman doesn't mean she doesn't have any rights to say, I don't want that type of lifestyle that my mother lived, that my grandmother lived, you know? Um, and I think sometimes there isn't that compassion. There's this, well, why do you think you deserve it? It was good enough for your mama. Mm. It was good enough for your grandmama. What makes you better? Mm. Um, it's not that I'm better. It's that I'm me. And I've decided that this is what is going to make me happy. This is what is going to make me feel um, secure in having my needs met, you know. And maybe my mom didn't feel that way. Or maybe she did and she didn't feel she had the right to and she didn't speak up. But I'm going to speak up and I'm going to say what I feel. So what do you think about that whole, you know, what I'm saying, whatever is coming to your mind? Um, I'm definitely not the traditional man. Um, because I'm, I just got to be honest, I'm not the breadwinner in, in my house. My wife, um, I wouldn't say that she makes a lot more money than I do, but she makes some good money. And without her, the house we live in, I couldn't, I couldn't afford it, you know? And like I said, I won't complain about being an educator. I have a job and I work six, seven days a week. But, you know, I, without her, I, you know, I wouldn't be able to afford that house I live in, which is totally the opposite of my father. You know, my father was like your father. He, you know, came from nothing, figured it out and was able to quadruple his based off his education. He was able to quadruple everything he had. So in the house, it was I make this and this is what I say. And when I get back to the to the house, um, food is made. Um, you guys are doing your homework. You guys don't give your mother problems. If we gave him other problems, oh, you know, we hear from him at the end of the day. Uh, his word was law. I'm going to do this. Uh, JR, you can't, I'm not going to tell you again. JR, don't talk back. It's yes, sir. Don't give me anything with your left hand. And so, you know, in, in, in 2022, well, first of all, I knew that I didn't want to marry a woman like my mother, even though my mother was a beautiful woman growing up. She was, um, obliged. She, um, never talked back, worked, gave that check to my father. My father paid bills and did some stuff and he sprinkled things here. He managed money because he was a money guy. Um, but my wife is, you know, I married my wife for her mind and her autonomy. Like she's very strong willed, you know, and, and a lot of that comes from my mother too. But, you know, when my wife talks, it's very, it's like, it's almost like she wears the pants. And I don't mean that derogatorily. I just mean that, like you said, you marry who you marry, you find who you find, and it works for us. But I know that in 2022, I make money, decent money, uh, have aspirations to make grand money. But when it comes down to that, every other check that we bring to the house, sometimes mine doesn't measure up to her. So I don't ever come at her like, now I will say, well, I'm a man, you can't do that. But you know, she's a better uh, budgeter. She's a better person with money. She knows how to save. I learned from her how to save. And just listening to her really kind of helped me save some in 2021, helped me save some in 2022. 
But um, I never look at things like, you know, when you, when you said that about how these men were feeling, I was just like, nah, it's just really not like that anymore. You know, um, and I think a lot of people got caught up on that. God bless Kevin Samuels <laughs> aspect. A lot of people got caught up on that. But um, for me, I kind of like I'm grateful for where I am, who I've married, who I had both my kids with, because a lot of people out there, they like my man was telling me, they have these expectations of both what men look want and what women want. And they it's hard to find that hmm. when 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 you're when you're um, what's the word? biological clock is running down you know you end up settling for what you never wanted when in the beginning if you kind of had compassion mm. um saw things a little differently listened mm-hmm. to the critiques took somebody who you felt might not be i'm not saying settle but i'm saying finding the value in somebody mm. you know just because you know, I, I like to say this, you know, my brother, I talked about my brother. I talk to my brother a lot more now because he's just seems to be a little more wiser than I am. Even though I'm, I got five years on him, you know, he's been some places. He he was a rough child, but he turned his life around. And now he's a lawyer working at a big firm in D.C. Right. And so I like to listen to him and, 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 and just pick his brain. And what I was saying was that I, I just think that. People have this expectation that because I'm this, I'm go. I need to be with somebody like who's like this. When those saying goes, opposites do attract. Yeah, Gatsby and I were talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> he says we're opposites, and that's why we were attracted to each other. Which I I could see that that could be some truth to that. I wanted to go back to what you were saying about expectations. You know. Um, expectations preferences standards those are some woo those are some there's so many like feelings attached that people get all up in arms you know about you know women and their preferences men and their preferences can men have preferences women can have them and they seem to be a you know um uh, embrace but when men have them everybody's upset about them which i don't know if that's true it's just what i hear people say but you know I think, and I was telling you this, (laughs) once again, going back to compassion, you know, um, sometimes I think that it's good to see things as we're human. We're all human and we have human needs. We have a human need to be understood. We have a human need to feel important. We have a human need for our needs to be met, food, water, shelter, and even sex and affection. You know, a baby will die if it's not held. Mm. And people need to be touched and have some kind of affection in their life to be emotionally and mentally healthy. We can't, going through life with no touch, nobody to touch you, hold you, make you feel loved, that can shorten your life. That's not my opinion. That's scientific fact. Um, in fact, there is a, I think it's in Europe somewhere, you know, men love to say to women, you're going to die alone, surrounded by cats. Mm. But generally it's actually men that die alone because women tend to have so many friends and family that they keep around them 
and men tend to die earlier also. So their homies end up being dead homies. And because they haven't continued to bond with people or made significant relationships with women, a lot of times men die alone. There's actually something I think called the loneliness project somewhere in Europe, where it's basically trying to deal with the fact that men um, are lonely and it's actually shortening their life because they're not taking care of themselves. They're depressed. They're doing self-destructive things because of loneliness. And, and also it was also saying that because men tend to isolate when they get hurt, they don't get therapy. They don't talk it out. They bury that stuff inside their bodies tend to be filled. Like if you take a man, let's say for example, and you were to scan him before a breakup and then after a breakup, his body can physically change because he's storing all of that negativity. And the research was saying that it can change for like up to two years because he's not getting rid of that stuff. Mm. Whereas women, you know, we sitting there crying with our girlfriends over some ice cream, <laughs> you know, and we, we, we venting to everybody that'll listen. And, and we just, we just constantly shedding that and shedding that and shedding that. And, and so we're not generally, we're not holding it in and it's not reducing our lifespan. So, you know, when I, when I look at some of these arguments on social media, I look at some of these, um, battles and Kevin Samuels, you know, all that kind of stuff. I do see a lot of hurt. There's a part of me that gets annoyed, but there's also a part of me that's very compassionate because, um, like I said, I was raised with men who didn't necessarily know, you know, my, my dad, we had amazing conversations growing up. He was very, very intellectual, you know, constantly would be asking me about things. You know, we might sit down and watch the news together. What do you think about that? Well, that didn't make any sense. Why did you say that? Now be more logical. You know, did you pay attention? This is what they said. This is what you said. That's not what they said. You know, so we had those kind of discussions sometimes. Um, but that was not feeling based. That was fact based. That was issue based. So mm. we had a lot of conversations about, issues and facts and things like that. And very few about feelings. Um, some, you know, one, I will tell you one of the things, and I might've told the story on the podcast before, I don't know, but compassion. I want to, I want to give a story about compassion that my dad did do something that he did do for me. That was very powerful. I remember the first time I got fired. Did I tell you the story? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I was working at Papa Do's. And I had just, just gotten a great review, performance review. I'm thinking I'm about to get a raise. And, you know, it was like the day before, you know, I'm, I'm like, I just thinking I'm going to get a raise. I'm thinking, you know, man, I, I got this great review. And then I go into work and I get fired and I come home and my dad, he works shift work. So I come into the house and I guess I was making noise or whatever. And he was like, who's that? And I'm like, it's me, daddy. And he's like, I thought you were supposed to be at work. And I was like, I got fired mm. and, and I went into his room and he's like, why did you get fired? I said, I don't know. They didn't tell me anything. They just said I was fired. And they were, they said that it's an at will job. We could fire you. We don't even have to give you a reason. And I said, I, I, I don't even know what to think. And he said, he said, well, 
didn't you just get a really great review? I was like, yes, just like yesterday. And he's like, look, you don't know what happened. They could have fired you for anything or nothing at all. Maybe they have too many people on the shift. Maybe they have another crew coming in. Maybe they're about to change management. Maybe they think you're about to move up and they want to get you out because whoever's above you doesn't want you moving out. They could be anything. He said, but you know what? Do you want to be a waitress for the rest of your life? No. He said, then it doesn't matter because Mm. they just did you a favor. Go get you a job in the field that you plan to be in. And stop worrying about these people that just freed up your schedule to go look for a job in something you really want to do. And I walked out of there with my head held high. And I I didn't think another minute about being fired. Whereas I could have been devastated by that experience. But my dad gave me, we talked my mindset at the very beginning. My dad gave me a different mindset. They did you a favor. They cleared your schedule to find a job that you really want to do in the field you really want to go into. And I ended up working for the United Way. I got hired by the United Way as a tutor. I was able to design writing programs for them, summer programs for them, um, got all kind of experience in, in working with nonprofits and a lot of that. I To this day, I was 23 years old. I'm 51 now. To this day, there are things that I learned in working for the United Way that I use with kids. And I developed confidence. I developed a unique style of doing some things because they gave me complete autonomy about a lot of things. Go design your own program. You want to do a summer program? Run it however you want to do it. That was powerful. But I wouldn't have even had, I wouldn't have even thought like that. I would have probably gone and got another waitressing job Mm -hmm. had my dad not said that to me. And, and he had compassion on me. He challenged me to do something I had never done before. I had never had a job in education and I had never applied for a job like that one to be um, a program director still in college I didn't even have a degree you know but that's the job I got mm-hmm. you know so going back to all of this controversy that men and women are having and these battles that they're having you know sometimes I think can you just change your mindset can you just realize we all are living in a really messed up world that is difficult to navigate and rather than be adversaries let's be partners Mm. you know what i'm saying let's let's be brothers and sisters if we're not going to be romantic let's be friends let's be colleagues let's be associates let's be respectful of each other and and listen you know and and i wanted to say also humility you know me looking at some of the posts that men make and saying they're speaking out of pain, they're speaking out of loneliness, they're speaking out of frustration with the way things are. They're speaking out of a lot of negative motivation and it may not be personal to me at all. It may just be they had a bad day. You know, life has been hard, you know, whatever. You know, it may be all those things, but also... I don't even know what's going on with them. You know, I can come at them the same way they're coming at me or I can say, hey, why just why are you being so angry? It's just an issue. We can disagree. 
We don't have to agree. Hmm. I see your point of view. I don't agree with you, but you have a right to have your point of view. And I have a right to have mine. And to be honest, as a man over there and as a woman right here, I may never understand your point of view fully. I may not even be able to understand your point of view fully. And you may never be able to understand mine. Right. Because I cannot, no matter how much I want to try and imagine what it's like to be you, I can't. I can only go so far. Mm-hmm. Because I cannot step out of what I have known since birth and take on a completely different mindset. I can't do that. You know, so I was talking about being humble and realizing your limitations because I can listen to you and I can empathize and I can tolerate and I can even somewhat understand sometimes what men are saying about certain things. But then there are other things when I just have to say, I don't I don't get it. I don't understand. <laughs> I just don't get it. <laughs> you know, so what do you think about what what I just said? I know I just said a whole bunch. I cobbled a lot of things together right there. I think that our fathers were similar. Mm. Um, when I think about compassionate challenge, my father, when, when, I, when I, growing up, there really wasn't a lot of compassion in him, like because of how he had to come up and, um, just getting over here from where he came from. It wasn't a lot of compassion. Um, so for him, it was all challenge. It was mm. go to school. Um, and if you go to school and uh, do what I've told you to do, exactly how I've told you to do it, you will come out a better person. And, you know, as kids, you know, sometimes instead of meeting that challenge, mm. you tend to, for me, in my case, I was super lazy. Hmm. Um, not the greatest of, of readers and, and studiers and just academia type kids. But I, I felt like my father really didn't take that time to say, well, what is it that you really like to do? Because for him, it was always just, just get it done now. And in the future, you'll be equipped to handle any kind of pressures that, that come your way. But I do remember my father being, compassionate even when I was rebellious mm. see I wasn't like my brother in DC he was just wild I was more nah I don't want to like real defiant to him real like you know when I grew taller than him and he was like you you can't do this in my house I was like well I don't want to be in your house then just mm -hmm. but even still in that he still fronted my school fees mm. he still financially he well when I got fired from my waiter's job he said, okay, well, be here Monday morning at 8 o'clock, not a second later. Instead of me going out and finding, he didn't have to say, are you going to do that the rest of your life? He said, well, you don't have a job and a man got to work, so come to be at the office at 8 o'clock in the morning on Monday morning. When I, when I was like, dad, you know, I told him, I'm, man, he's not going to screw me like that. And I come to work and he was like, well, be at work Monday morning at 8. Going to answer the phones. You're going to keep the office clean. Uh, you're going to you know, file paperwork, do this, do that. Basically, I'm going to teach you how to how to run your own practice. And um, outside of that, you know, I don't never really get into the the back and forth with people. You know, for me, I think that, like you said, haters provide perspective to you. You know, I it, for me, if I have my way of thinking, and I feel like people have told me in the past. 
man, you're always trying to go against the grain. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, it's, I'm not that type of person. I just, I just really think that sometimes when people, there's a message behind what people are saying. Hmm. And people don't spend enough time thinking about, hey, I want to do this and I want to give this to the world because that's too much energy that they have to, to give away. Mm-hmm. They would rather argue about what you didn't do, mm. um, have opinions about what you said. Mm. And, and this is where they find joy and this is where they find the courage to be creative. Mm. So I don't really ever partake in just the back and forth when it comes to, well, I feel this and whatever platform I've created, I'm going to put it there. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, it's your, you can not listen to my stuff at all. And you can listen to it and, and your comment, you can comment, but I don't have to partake in, in your thought process. This is what I feel. And I validate what I feel by putting it out there and putting it down on paper for you to comment on. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just, I think that people, when they're compassionate to others, they, there's no need to argue about somebody's mm-hmm. opinion mm-hmm. or somebody's viewpoint mm-hmm. because, Hey, I recognize what you're saying. I might not agree, but there is some truth to what you're saying because you're, you've experienced it and you're putting it out for the world to critique and talk about. People don't have the courage to do that because it, it, you know, they take it in wrong. Well, you said this. Well, I'm going to go all day long arguing back and forth. And now I've tried to do that. There were, there were groups on Facebook that I used to try to have my way and, and say what I had to say and, and come up with the best thing to respond to. And then after I press, well, while I'm typing, six messages have come. Mm. Six have turned to 15. 15 mm-hmm. have turned to 50. Mm-hmm. And it's just mm-hmm. like, by the time I get my point out. It, the, it's moved on. <laughs> yeah. It's, they don't even know what you're talking about so, anymore because the whole conversation is moved yeah, on. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, you know, from that experience, I'm just like, nah, I'm just going to, one or two people that agree with it, we'll just have our private conversations, but I'm not going to disagree with somebody's viewpoint because there's some validity behind it. Hmm. You know, speaking of mindsets, um, I want to, I want to bring up two things politically. You know, we talk about compassion and, and there's a group, you know, they say they're compassionate conservatives. Hmm. And, um, I think that's such an insidious term, mm. you know, I really do because so many of the policies that they have show no empathy. They show no tolerance. They show just, um, just one worldview and, and nothing else. And, um, just the other day, there is a, a minister that I had on my podcast a while back and he said, he said, how do we, the church, because he's writing to the people on his page and I happen to be one of his Facebook friends. How do we walk a mile in the shoes of those that have left the church and all the people on his page, which I'm assuming probably have similar backgrounds to him, Christians, go churchgoers. They're like, oh, we show empathy and we listen and we, we show them that we care about them. And I said, you can't, you can't walk a mile in the shoes of someone who's left the church if you're still in the church. Because those are two different mindsets. If you are of the mindset that the church is vital 
to your growth as a Christian or as a spiritual person, that the church is how you stay connected to God, that the church is, you know, it's a sin not to be in the church. And a person over here doesn't see the church as having any value in their life at all. Those are two opposite mindsets. You can't walk a mile in their shoes because you would have to step outside of your belief system to walk a mile in their shoes. They have, you're in a certain box and they're completely out of that box. Mm. And they see that box, even they may see that box as a box or they may even see that box as a prison, you know? So you can't. Um, and, and I think that sometimes when people assume that they're showing compassion, we're going to show compassion to these, these, uh, people over here because they're so unfortunate and they're so lost. And just even that attitude is not compassion. It's actually paternalism or condescension, um, or feeling superior to. And that's another reason why you can't walk in their shoes, you know, because they may feel superior to you. And so you both have this superiority mindset trying to one up the other, you know what I mean? And there's no way you can walk in each other's shoes. Um, So I think sometimes people think that they're practicing compassion, but they're not. They're practicing condescension. They're practicing um, like I have sometimes had men think that they were being in a sense compassionate with me when they're mansplaining to me (laughs) i don't need you to mansplain to me i'm a grown woman i know exactly what i'm talking about you don't need to mansplain to me you know and try to break things down to my level i'm not at a lower level than you i know what i'm talking about just because you disagree with me doesn't mean you need to mansplain to me because you think i don't know what i'm talking about right you know so i think that sometimes people get compassion mixed up with a whole lot of other things that it's not you have any thoughts on that um i think the challenge comes in see people that are in the church have either been raised that way or came into that enlightenment in 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 uh in age i remember my mom i was talking to my brother my mom she used to say, no, you can't take communion. We were talking about being baptized again. And I said, well, you know, I think baptiz- being baptized again is a good thing because now you come into what the Lord means to you and not what your mom told you or what your, what you, what, what your mom's belief system, which was instilled in you was growing up. And we were joking about, you know, mom never used to ever let us take communion. And, and I was like, because we weren't baptized. And, and we joked about that. But there are two sides to things. There are people that are in the church heavy. Two, three times a week. Um, church on Sundays, twice on Sundays. And then there are other people that are not. Um, and then there's some people in between that might teeter-totter on both sides. I think the challenge comes in understanding what it is to be that other person. For example, uh, he said, could you walk a mile in that person's shoes? I think the challenge would be like, why is this? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. On that Christian side, there is no, you know, it, it's a it's a, a thin line that, you know, between secular and, and following the Bible to the T. And I think that it's it's difficult the challenge comes in that, like, 
am I going to fall to the ways of the world or am I going to read the Bible and believe that Jesus Christ is coming soon? So I got to get my life right. And for me, you know, I'm a church goer. I go to church and then sometimes I don't go to church. Like I was telling my wife, I was like, ah, you know, right now it's not my season. I'm, I'm really not feeling the church right now. And she was like, well, you gotta this and you gotta do this. And, and, and my, my advice would be like, when you travel to like New York, DC, those people move, everybody's regional lifestyle is different. You know, uh, every time I go to New York, the way they move, on a Sunday morning, I don't see how anybody would be able to go to church. A couple of years back, I was in New York, woke up on a Sunday morning. I'm down Broadway Avenue and people are out like, you know, you talk about going to um, the meet. Well, what are those things you say you go to like where everybody's out and they're talking about their this or they're selling networking? This. Yeah, they were doing that one Sunday morning. Here I am a Southern kid. I'm like, man, why are people not going to church on Sundays? I thought Sundays is for the Lord. <laughs> so, so when you, when you get out of, when you get out of where you're from and, and, and see how other people live their lives, it makes it easier to understand being able to walk, like being a church going, and understanding why somebody might not feel like going to church today or might not be feeling like the church is this or the church is that or might be feeling that like they can be close to the Lord and not be in the walls of the church, uh, having people pray and jump around and catching the Holy Ghost. It might not be that vibe. People could understand. If you've been places, then you can understand how people, you know, can can be different. The challenges in understanding, well, uh, it might not be their season. Maybe another season is their season. Hmm. So. And speaking of getting outside of your comfort zone, going someplace different, it, it reminded me of uh, the woman. I cannot think of her name right now. My mom went blank, but she was an educator. She probably still is an educator. And she used to do this blue eyed, brown eyed experiment. Basically, because our culture in America, we, um, you know, the white culture is dominant and they're treated in, in many cases superior. She wanted people that she wanted to get people to understand and have compassion in a sense on being judged and treated a certain way over something you couldn't control. So basically she, um, she would have people wear these little collars and they were kind of randomly given out. One would be a blue collar and the other would be a brown collar. So the blue collar was supposed to, you know, represent blue eyes. The brown mm. collar was supposed to represent brown eyes. And you would walk into this room. You would not know. No, it started outside of the room. All of the blue collared people were let in first. They were given snacks and drinks and set in the best seats. And while all of this is happening, um, no, I said it the wrong way. The brown collar people were let in first, right? The blue collared people were sitting outside waiting. Right. When they were ushered in, they were treated very um, rudely, set in the back. Um, they, if they asked any questions about, well, are we getting snacks? They were ignored, you know, and this went through the whole presentation. So basically they got a chance to experience being discriminated against. If one of the brown collar people raised their hand, they were just praised for anything they said, no matter whether it was good or bad. And if the blue collar people raised their hand, they were yelled at. 
don't you see that there's other, you know, brown collared people that want to talk, wait your turn, you know? And the point of the exercise was there were some people with the blue collars who couldn't even make it through an hour session. They were so angry. They were so frustrated. They just could, they would, they would walk up and get out. And she said, you know, you agreed to this. You agreed to this experiment. Now let's take it to the real world. This is to show you what it's like for people who are not part of the dominant culture many times, and they cannot take their collar off. Mm. They can't take their skin off. Mm. They can't take their race off. They have to live with it. And all of these microaggressions that you're experiencing that you don't even notice. And that's the thing about walking in somebody else's shoes. There are things that, and, and she was talking about race, but it could be age. It could be gender. Mm -hmm. It could be sexuality. It could be economics. You know, I remember there was a presidential candidate. I can't remember who it was. And they asked him how many houses he had, and he couldn't remember. <laughs> he couldn't remember. He was like, um, well, do you mean the houses that we actually live in or, or our summer houses too? Um, I'm, well, I, okay, I think we have, I think we have three. And the reporter said, you really are out of touch with the average person because the average person doesn't have one and they don't have to think about it. Mm. They live in an apartment. They rent. They don't own. That's generally the average person in America. And you were stumped by that question. Mm. You know, I remember um, in this TV show Succession, the uh, the guy who was the head of the company kept saying to his son, you don't even know the price of a gallon of milk. And his son was like, what is the deal with the price of a gallon of milk? But the point was he had never gone shopping. Right. He didn't even know what it was to go shopping. He didn't, he didn't have to cook for himself. He didn't have to budget for groceries. So, you know, one of the things about compassion is humility. Sometimes you don't know. You don't know what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes. You don't know what it's like to struggle paycheck to paycheck if you're really wealthy and you've never had that experience. So don't act like you do. You know, a woman doesn't necessarily know what it's like to be a man at all. A man doesn't know what it's like to be a woman. So that's why we have to listen to each other and not listen with this. Okay, okay, okay. I heard this before. Oh my God, I heard this before. Why are you constantly saying this to me? You know, that's not listening, you know, um, but to really listen and try to hear the pain in what people are dealing with and, and their desire for something better because generally people just want to be happy and mm -hmm. at peace. Right. That's generally what they want. They're not trying to hurt anybody. They're not trying to make other people's lives miserable. They're generally just trying to be happy and at peace. And when they complain, when they're frustrated, it's because things are getting in their way and they're just tired of it. They just want it to change, you know, and, and if we could listen, sometimes we could fix it, you know, and we could, we could get along better, you know, but listening seems to be hard for a lot of people. <laughs> mm. Mm. I am. Um, God bless my, a classmate of mine just passed away a couple of days ago. Mm, sorry for your loss. Um, it was um, drug related. Mm. And you know, I was when when I found out the news, I was um, I was talking to my wife because we went to high school together. She went to high school with us, and uh, I was saying to my wife, I was like, "Man, 
was she heavy on the pills like that? And my wife was like, hey, you know, you know, you never know what somebody's going through. And I was trying to make sense of it. I was trying to make sense of it. And then I had to think back to this podcast I was listening to the week before. And the narrator on the podcast said, I think that he was speaking from a place without passion. He said, I think that when people use the term mental illnesses, that it can be an excuse. He said, you know what? I, I, I'm not well versed at it, but I, I think it's an excuse. And, and the guy he had as a guest said, have you ever been depressed? And he was like, no. And he says, well, sometimes in depression, you have no way out. So you turn to drugs because he asked him, well, why did you get on drugs? And that was his answer. And I was asking my wife, I was like, man, but, but is it, was she really on the pills like that? And she was like, yeah, you never really know what somebody's going through. But when people are like stuck um, and and people are looking at them because she God bless again. I want to be careful on how I speak on the dead. She was in the news for, you know, one time she had ran out the store with some clothes and stuff like that. But I know she was really, it was really rough. And, and, and my wife was saying, you know, how she came up, she might have been regarded like that. Always gotten the short end of the stick, always been like, you know, discarded, always, you know, all the other kids meant more or whatever she was saying it. But she was like, you know, having compassion and understanding that, you know, just because some people have it rough and it ends up like this, it doesn't mean that they were bad or or worse. They just did not know how to cope with things and had people had more compassion and more understanding. And, and you know, hey, let me, let me what do you need? What, what, what can I help you with? Things might end up differently for her. But I realized in what you just said that there might be happiness in death. Hmm. It might be the fact that, you know, you, 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 your back is to the wall. You're in this corner. There's no way out. And there's only going forward. Like Leonardo DiCaprio said in, in that movie, Inception, the only way forward is backwards or however he said it. And, and in her, I'm talking about my classmate in her vision right now, it was, I'm already here. And the, the only thing next is more. And more until, you know, she's in a better place now being, you know, maybe that was what she intended, but I don't, who knows. But my wife was like, compassion, got to have it. Even if you can't muster it, you got to find a way to, to almost take a walk in somebody's shoes. That is, that is a powerful reminder because, you know, whew, there's a lot of people that I know, um, in fact, the majority of the people that I've been close to, really close to, have had a moment in time when they felt like, what am I doing this for? Like, why? Like, they had this suicidal thought. Mm. They didn't act on it. Mm. You know what I'm saying? But a lot of times, it's thinking about having compassion for the people that live behind or somebody having compassion on them mm -hmm. and speaking to them in in that moment and and saying hey you're not alone you know um we're here for you 
uh, call us if you need us, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Um, you, you know, just that, that compassion and you just really don't know, you know, speaking of, um, man, who I was just thinking about, um, when my mom passed, mm. you know, well, she hadn't passed yet, but my mom was given, you know, three months to live. She lived six. And I remember one time I went to Baba Fanaz class mm. God bless. <laughs> and, and he, uh, he's in this book, um, along with my best friend who both passed last year. This, in fact, this month is the anniversary of them passing. And this was one of the things I wanted to bring up on this, on this podcast. I didn't know where I was going to fit it in, but I'm going to say it now. And I remember, um, I had just every Saturday I would leave the North side where I live and I would go to the South side and I would stop by Baba's class Mm -hmm. on the way to go see my mom, whether she was in the hospital or in hospice or at her home, you know, with the skilled nursing, wherever she was, because she went, she cycled through those things and, you know, watching someone die is difficult. Mm -hmm. It's one of the hardest things I've ever, ever had to deal with watching someone waste away and die. Right. And I remember um, I came into class and class was wonderful. And, and one thing I wanted to say about Baba, you know, this man was, you know, elderly, had a wealth of knowledge, so yeah. much knowledge, but he set us all in a circle and he would bring up a topic, you know, like we're going to talk about, you know, group economics today. We're going to mm-hmm. talk about, you know, the principles of my yacht today. We're going to talk about whatever, whatever, you know, cause his class was called conversations in African culture and history. And he would give us a little 10 minute lesson maybe. And then he'd say, okay, I'm going to go around a circle. I want everybody to share. We're listening to each other. We're, we're putting that lesson into, into our own context and telling our own experiences. And how would this principle of, of African culture be lived out or how have we seen this lived out or what problems are we have in doing this? Um, and I remember one time we got to the end of the class and he would go around sometimes and he would say, how are you doing? Right. And he got to me and he said, how are you doing? And I just burst out in mm-hmm. tears. I mean, I'm just, oh, I didn't even know I was going to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just, I mean, I mean, shoulders shaking, whole body racked with tears, just came breathe. And the whole class came and put their arms around me. Nobody said anything. Mm-hmm. They just held me and they just let me cry. Right. Sometimes compassion is not about what you say. It's just about being there. And we probably stood there for, I don't know, five minutes. And it was just, you know, it was amazing. And then when I got up, they all stood up and hugged me. Mm. And one at a time just held me. And I was like, where do you get that? Right. Where in the world do you get that? Okay, I've been to a lot of churches, I'm telling you. I ain't never had an experience like that. It was, you know, it was powerful. It was healing. It gave me strength, you know, just letting me cry. Right. Just holding me. Right. I, you know. Ah, uh, You know, I don't know. Uh, NY, I'm going to use NY because that's how uh, I was. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know NY <laughs> like that, but Baba Fana mm. and my short time with him, 
I would sit on the other side of the camera and listen to him talk. Mm-hmm. And he would talk, no notepad, mm-hmm. yes. no cell phone. Yes. He would just, and I was like, wow, man, this guy is good. He's just, yeah. he is just yeah. deep. He's good. You could tell he's been through it. I don't know where he's been, but the, tra- mm-hmm. the road he traveled to get to this point is just, yeah. it was, it's profound. Yeah. And I remember, I remember, I remember about NY, uh, I'm looking at the episode. And I'm like, man, it, man, these guys on this camera, it was you and him, obviously. Yeah. yeah and I yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. man, they, man, some, some, something's going on here. Something's yeah. going on here. And I was like, and, and later on, you would come to, you wrote it in a book and you would come to say that he, um, mm. always encouraged you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to keep going. Yeah. That, compassionate challenge um i liken it to this sometimes people don't understand what it is to be a creative Mm. but the motivation the battery that they put in your back to keep going Mm. yeah it's priceless i think that when you talked about them and and when you talked about them after i edited the episode and i was like wow man this this is a i could feel the energy on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) This podcast was recorded a while ago, but I can feel the the chemistry on this podcast. Mm. And then when you would come to say that he just, he would say, you can do it. Mm. I believe in you. Mm. What are you waiting for? Just do it. Just keep doing it. That type of challenge, that type of understanding without understanding. Yeah. The, the fact that, you know what? I could put this out there and it might not be received well, or I could, you know, I, I don't have any examples, so I'm really kind of, I'm going to be the guy that goes out and all the arrows might come my way. I, I've never done this before, but you just reassuring me that, hey, you're going to be successful in whatever you do. You're yeah. going to be successful in in this venture. You just got to do it mm-hmm. and to see where you are now. Yeah. You know, uh, he's talking about New York uh, was 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 named Breath in here, and, and he just was so... He was very compassionate for me and and loved me, but he would get in my butt Mm. and be like, you know, if I started saying anything doubtful, get the fuck out of here. You know, (laughs) with his New York York accent, accent. (laughs) you know, what the fuck are you talking about? You know, I mean, you know, you got this. And it was just, it was, uh, I still hear that in my head, you know, sometimes when I get, whenever I have those thoughts come up, um, you know, one of the things I wanted to say about my journey, um, I wrote about a lot of people in this book. Uh, there's 101 dates and there's 101 different perspectives on men and women and how they should be. And I loved being able to just meet people and listen and, oh, this is what you think a woman should be. Okay. Um, I'm not that woman but you probably can find her or man, that's interesting. Maybe I could work on this or that, or maybe I could learn from this or that, or maybe you're right about that. You know, um, the person I am now is because of all of the interactions that challenged me and all of the compassion I was shown as well as the, the, the lack of compassion I was shown. But, you know, I'm so grateful, you know, I put in this book, Um, I started writing this October 3rd last year, but 
the idea that I needed to do something to honor everybody that had been in my life, especially the people I lost, happened this month last year because the week that I lost um, breath and then Baba Fana in one week, they both passed from COVID. I mean, I was reeling emotionally, like just didn't know how to process that. Like these were two pillars of my life, you know, and had been, I think Baba was in my life for like five years and um, New York, whom I call breath in the book, a couple of years, but they just had such a profound impact on me. Just so they just, they just changed my life. They mm. just changed my life. And, and, you know, mm. and, and one of the things that, you know, when, when, um, when that guy said, you're just bashing, man, I'm thinking to myself, you have no idea who I am because mm. you just don't even understand that, as much as I love women and, and my mom and my sister, my aunts, my friends that are female, it's then the men in my life that have been the ones that have shaped me. You know, my father, I'm much more a product of my father than I am of my mother. I look like my mother, but my thinking, my behavior, everything about me, everything about me, that's my dad. Mm. Top to bottom. You know, it's my dad and all of the men that I've had that I've loved, that I've lost, that I've listened to, that I've learned from, you know, there is one woman in this book. I mentioned my sister. I mentioned my mom. I mentioned my best friend, Hovland May, who I talked to today, um, who's been my best friend since college. Um you know, those women, like, they impacted me. But there's 101 men in this book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, I can't, you know, the 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 impact of men on my life is, uh, I had to write a whole book about it. I mean, Gatsby just by himself. Mm. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Just by himself. <laughs> you know, um, so much uh, of me and the way that I think, the way I act, the the things that I've accomplished. You know, I, I mentioned Kay Jones Hearts, of course. She's just, you know, I got to get used to calling her Kay Jones. Uh, you know, so there have been women that have, um, stood by me, supported me, loved me, encouraged me, and I'm grateful to them, you know, but, um, the men have just really put their fingerprint on, on my character and my thinking and my thought process, all that. So I, it, it hurts me that men and women have such a problem (laughs) getting along. Um, and, and I hope that even through writing this book and showing so many experiences that I had with men and, and the different things they said to me, the different things that they did, how they were important, that this could be part of the conversation that people could just start to appreciate each other. Good, bad, or otherwise. Everything doesn't have to end in marriage. You can have somebody that, I, I didn't marry New York, Breath. I didn't marry him, but oh my gosh, did that man have an impact on my life. Right. I didn't even meet him. We never physically met. We come. We talked all the time. We video chatted 
all the time. And he had such a profound impact on my life just through conversation, just through conversation because of the love he had, because of him listening to me, you know, and, and same thing with him. I mean, he would tell me everything, you know what I'm saying about his life. And so I just feel like we have so much potential as a people, if we could be humble, be patient, be tolerant, um, and listen to one another and look at each other and say, I'm going to see the best in you. I'm not going to think that you're coming at me to hurt me. I'm right. not going to assume that you're my enemy. I'm going to see the best in you. I'm going to try to treat you as if you're a decent human being till you show me otherwise. You know, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to have compassion on you. You know, people talk about the golden rule, you know, treat each other the way you want to be treated and also treat each other the way that person wants to be treated. Cause sometimes the way I want to be treated may not be exactly how they want to be treated. Their standard might be a little higher, mm. you know? So some of those things, I, I just feel like we should challenge ourselves to do better and to grow and to treat each other better. You know, our world is changing. Our world has changed. And we, I feel we have to challenge ourselves to be more compassionate. I don't think we can get away with the abuse that our ancestors tolerated mm. on each other as men, as women. I don't believe we can do that. Women can't go around slapping men and thinking that they're going to get away with it. I'm sorry <laughs> you're, you're, you saw that in Gone with the Wind and every other movie growing up, but this is not Gone with the Wind. You know, that's assault. And right. men can't go around objectifying women and, and, you know, thinking that we're maids and cooks and that's all we want to be in life is be somebody's wife and we have no other ambitions. We need to evolve and we need to challenge ourselves to evolve beyond these abusive, stereotypical behaviors that so many of us have grown up seeing, grown up hearing. Mm. We need to change our mindsets. And we need to say, okay, this was a mindset from 1950 or 1920 or 1910 or 1895. It is now 2022. Just like we do not use a horse and carriage unless we're Amish. Mm. Let's <laughs> not use the same mindset that they had back then. Mm -hmm. You don't go out and go churn butter. You go to the grocery store and buy it. So why are you still operating from these paradigms that are outdated, you know, and I just think that we need to challenge ourselves to do better. We can do better. We've done it in technology. We've done it in so many other areas. So why are we being, I'm going to just say it this way. Why are we being so lazy about the way we treat each other? Just because we feel like we can get away with it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So what do you want to say? Cause we got to wrap it up, but what's going through your mind? You say, uh, at the beginning of your podcast, you say replacing limitations with possibilities is the yeah. end part. And I just think that every everybody watching, everybody who's tuned in and is a part of your audience and your fan base, if they if they're ever thinking of writing a book or starting a podcast or doing whatever, I think you made it possible for them. And I, I just think that it's an honor just to um 
be next to you and be associated with you. I, I don't mean that lightly. I, I, I think that, you know, when, we, when I come out here on Sundays, I, I think it's, I'm gonna, I'm getting ready to learn something new. I'm getting ready to be pushed. I'm getting ready to face a challenge, especially when I have to speak on topics that might be over my head, you know, and I just, I'm grateful for the opportunity. It's a lovely book. Any, everybody and anybody should have a book in there if they're, they have any kind of space in the house they need to have the book there present you know we need to support you as a houstonian and as a creative and as a as an author and we need to push you to make that book a screenwriter <laughs> <laughs> thank you well we're going to come to the end of this podcast but i do want to encourage you you know if you're watching or if you watch later you know like this video share this video subscribe to the podcast the podcast is called zenergy z-e-n-n-u-r-g-y if you're listening to it later on some other streaming platform there is at least 90 other episodes in fact seven of these chapters of plenty of guppies are on the podcast you can listen to it audio the book is on Amazon, as well as my guided journals, Energize Your Life. So I'm looking for sponsors. I'm looking for people to come on the podcast. You know, if you like what you're what you're listening to on my link tree, you can um, support financially because I want to do some great things for Houston, for the nation. I want to get people on here to help people to transform their lives. It's all about replacing limitations with possibilities. It's all about us living our best lives. And the more that I get money to do certain things the more that I can put other things out there to help people to live their best lives, to challenge us, you know, in a compassionate way, because, you know, I don't have all the answers, but I feel like together we can learn to live our best lives together. We can grow together. We can achieve what seems to be impossible right now, because even in the word impossible, it says I'm possible, mm. you know? So I want to thank you guys for joining us and may you walk in synergy. Have a great night. Zenashea, newly divorced 43-year-old Southern woman, wanted a fresh start. She'd heard there were plenty of fish to choose from in the modern dating pond. What she discovered were plenty of guppies, exactly 101 of them. The result? A provocative, transparent, raw, and delightfully uncensored account of her experiences with the 101 men she encountered on her journey to find the one. In Plenty of Guppies, Zen spills all the tea on dating psychology, relationships, and self-discovery while giving readers a rare glimpse into the life of an award-winning artist and best-selling author. The book is an enlightening narrative that explores gender roles and identity outside of societal expectations. Zen has written a refreshingly mature modern-day epic of online dating, layering her personal story with erotic poetic verses and passionate prose that frame her journey toward rebuilding a life as a single woman and adjusting to both an empty nest and boomeranging children.